0: Welcome to Digital Packaging Disruption from CMYK. Here's your host, Dustin Stearman.
1: All right, welcome back to DPD Live. I'm excited to be kicking off season two today. Sean Marski is my co-host for this season. Quick background on how he and I got connected. A story from LinkedIn, definitely a place where most, where I think people should be spending more time. And you know, happy to talk about that as we talk a little bit about best practices of sales and other things today, but. Really, you know, Sean has been a disruptor in digital packaging. As I said on the podcast that we just posted, since before disruption was a thing, DPD caught his attention. We had a chance to connect offline, got to chatting, and really just, you know, vibes, energy were good. Really enjoyed his story. Somebody that I know I can learn from, and I feel that others that are tuning in here will benefit from his experience of driving change, transformation, disruption over the past twenty years in this space. Um, and really, you know, being able to shed some light on what it was like back then, what it's like now, and how much opportunity there is really in this space for growth. I'm out in Santa Monica this week, just finishing up at the digital print for packaging summit, hosted by Smithers. A lot of interesting takeaways. I'm going to share some later this week, but you know, one thing that's really resonating for me is that nobody has, you know, the silver bullet answer on how does digital drive more growth and pull more market share from conventional? The reality is is that we're all just figuring it out one day at a time as we go and as we build. And some of the things that stick for me are that, I I really believe there's a lack of the digital mindset in the marketplace, and that is causing us to not grow as fast as we potentially could. The technology's there, the market is there, the demand is there from the end customers, it's really that intermediary point of the individuals responsible for bringing the product to market. So you have a, a customer on this end, and you've got the tech on this end in terms of hardware, software, what you need to be able to execute, and you have converters in the middle. And without that mindset, there's fear of jumping in and taking advantage of the opportunity. One of the things that excites me about those that jump in here and onto the, the DPD podcast and live with us is that they are embracing that digital mindset and they are passionate about disruption. So to me, that's that screams opportunity. It screams opportunity for faster growth, You know, certainly growing above industry average. Uh, industry average is at 11%. I believe there's folks that are jumping onto this podcast and live with us that are growing 2 to 3x that and really the potential for more is out there. It really is relevant to you and your business. But all that being said, you know, we're going to jump into things. And Sean, thanks for being willing to come on and do season two with me.
2: Thank
3: you. Thanks for that introduction. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. We're going to learn a lot.
1: Agreed. And I think you know, our, Sean and I have laid out a little bit about what we want to cover during the season, but even the last week or so, I've been seeing things that we might need to pay some more attention to. One of those being, Sean, is just tech, right? You're seeing a lot of people right now that are unfortunately, you know, in my newsfeed, I'm seeing layoffs coming in tech. We don't have enough people in packaging. Digital is tech-enabled packaging. How do we, you know, help others understand the opportunity in this sector is definitely something I want to talk about later this in season two. Um, and I think it's relevant right now with what's going on in the, in just the job marketplace today. We are going to lean into best practices. So identifying and playing to digital strengths, segregating if if you're a hybrid converter where you have both digital and analog, you know, segregating. The two from one another, and then why a cohesive strategy and a cohesive system is necessary to deliver the digital experience. So just kicking off with, you know, identifying and playing a di- digital strengths, I would like to start, Sean, really, you know, when you reflect back on time at Mem, you know, when you're building Memjet, building VIP, you know, the strengths of digital then versus the strengths of digital now how the companies that grew and embraced the tech the best and saw that market adoption, what were they doing differently from others that maybe weren't you know, seeing as quick of a ramp up or onboarding of customers? Just love to hear a little bit about how you view strengths within digital, how they've evolved.
3: Yeah. Well, back 20 years ago, obviously, you know, the evolution of technology is on a logarithmic scale higher than, than most things change. And so the key was is when things first started out, you had a very limited ecosystem. We had to, both at VIP Color and MemJet, we literally had to work with paper mills and the laminating companies and uh, this type of thing to, to literally make printable substrates available for our technology, meaning uh, predominantly that was inkjet. So uh, you had inkjet papers for the photo printing market, that type of thing, but that's, that was way cost ineffective uh, on, a, on a square inch or square meter basis. So building out there was very little ecosystem, didn't have rips that were aided to, to a digital printing or a packaging process. Everything was geared towards more commercial or home printing and that type. So uh, we really had to build out with software companies, media suppliers, substrates, different coatings. So that was a big challenge back in the day. You literally only had one or two substrates on a pressure sensitive and maybe one substrate for board. Whereas today, obviously, there are literally thousands of digitally printed uh, media substrate options and all types of calipers, different adhesives for labels. Multiple RIPs, stacking software, job, integrated variable data, right overlaying into your main uh, decoration graphics. So that was just a technology evolution. Also, there were literally just a handful of digital printing products for packaging back then. We focused on the small to medium business market. So, meaning our products were not going to run at 200 feet a minute or faster. So it was, and they were smaller footprint. And then on the larger side for you know heavier volumes and productivity, then you know you had you know HP just jumping in. Uh, it was Indigo. Then they then HP purchased Indigo whereas today now there are so many choices different technologies obviously you know toner versus inkjet then in the inkjet realm there's aqueous inkjet and then there's uv inkjet all types of different areas there there's ink sets for everything now you've got hexachrome digital options that was just a pipe dream 20 years ago 15 years ago so the the technology itself has really evolved some of the challenges back then were constant color matching when our customers were working with their customers they'd be like we just can't hit that orange you know and it's like well yeah cmyk has massive gamut limitations right in terms of pantones and and that type of thing
1: it's interesting so, talk about that orange for a second i was having a chat yesterday with somebody on tide orange and the fact that they were looking at going to a corrugated shipper for Tide, and the orange was eight delta e off from their containers, but they were okay with it on, because it was going to be direct to consumer, and you weren't going to see it on the shelf. And they they actually still are running this CMYK right now with an eight delta e, but you know here we are five six seven eight years later since they launched it, and it's now sitting on shelf. So I bring that up because I think you know so often you see brands that are. Still questioning quality out of digital, and you know when you look back to where you got started, when you got started, where we're at today. I mean, it's it's a night and day difference, in my opinion. Digital has proven its quality. Um, it is better than flexo. It is comparable to offset and rotogravure, and in some cases, it's better from a reproduction standpoint. Right?
3: Quality so, is certainly there. I mean, it it that's rarely an issue that and the 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 cool thing about with the new software are new you know but the evolution of the software and the rips is you can fingerprint the digital press to a specific substrate and at that point it's memorized now in the job setup so the next time you go to run that substrate the machine uh, already knows what it is that it's got in it
4: hey do you guys are you familiar with Mark Rabbit Significa or I'm trying to yeah. remember the name of his company, but he's got a uh, PMS color book that he's coming out with. That's uh he and I talked about it briefly, but basically being able to footprint you know all the CMYK equivalents to a PMS book. So and to your point, Sean, basically just that it gives all those footprints for those spot colors, if you will.
1: Yeah. And I would also yes. say it's relative to the customer base you're going after, Dave. You know, like depending on who who you're calling on. I think if you're physically proofing, you're setting expectations on the front end. So, good opportunity to talk about best practices here.
4: Right.
1: Set set the expectation before the commercial order goes out the door. If you have a digital press and you can run a proof off on the same substrate and and show them, hey, these are how your colors are going to hit. Nine times out of ten. You, know, you can work around having to use spot colors with clients if you're throwing a drawdown off the press and you're throwing proofs and you're giving them the option to say, here's, here, here's your grid. You know, Pick the purple that you feel best suits your brand identity and building that time into launching that product. Look, no doubt about it in terms of fingerprinting the, the presses and G7 color and all that kind of stuff that I'm not well-versed in. But I think that that applies to a certain buyer in the market as well. And then you pull that back to, is that your buyer? Not that you shouldn't do it. And Mark and Significance are a great group, by the way.
4: Yeah, he's great.
1: I love what they're doing. They're working with a lot of people in this space.
4: I had a meeting with HP yesterday, and we were basically talking to that point about their CMYK equivalents and what percentage of PMS colors they can hit. And it's basically 97, 98%. Now they will make spot colors for you. And I said, well, what's the incidence of that? And they said, it's pretty rare, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's even for big,
4: big consumer product brands like Coca-Cola. Exactly. Coca-Cola coffee, coffee, yeah. out. So, yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. No, I think that again, like at least with the HP presses, their, their extended gamut hits 99.9% of what you want yeah. to yeah. hit. And if you take the time to work around it, it's going to get there. But I, I want to circle back to one point, Sean, that you made which is how the materials have evolved over the last 10, 15 years. I personally feel that you need to limit the amount of materials that you offer in, the, in a digital environment. There's too many materials out there. You know, Minimize the specifications that you're offering to the customer base. If you don't do that, you're now running so many different structures and specs through your facility. How do you find efficiency in production when you're in a digital environment and you're now running you know 20 different substrates to the shop? and to that point i think you know this even came up yesterday but a lot of buyers in the digital realm they don't know specs all that well there, there's the opportunity to educate and influence going into you know vanilla chocolate or strawberry instead of having to have 32 flavors from what i can see now it's it could be relative to the product that you're making but i would argue that point in labels i would i would argue that point in folding carton as well corget maybe a little bit different but interested in others thoughts here on that
4: it's funny that you bring that up, Dustin, and because they've done studies, and they they the more choices you give somebody, the less apt they are to make a decision. So, and I'll liken it to online dating. If you did online dating twenty years ago, when there was basically you know three different platforms, eHarmony, JDate, and Plenty of Fish, you could find dates. Now there's so many options out there, it goes nowhere. There's too many damn choices.
1: That's a dangerous one. I'm going to leave that one. (laughs) But that's right. That's right. In terms of just limiting the amount of substrates that you're offering to the client. And it's really as simple as, do you want a gloss finish? Do you want a satin finish or a matte finish? Do you want, you know, a metallic pop or not, you know, just the basics. And then through that, you're actually able to find more efficiency in ganging up production and aggregating runs and know really leveraging digital what it's designed to do
3: yeah that is a, a best practice important point right there but the in separating you know say digital side from the analog side really you, you want to understand you know you, the digital offering and go out with show a customer here's the three materials we have or the three finishes. We can run it, you know, here's the color gamut range. Obviously, also the beautiful thing about digital is someone can just email the artwork and you can run off a proof right there. I mean, it, it, it takes you, I don't know, depending on ripping and, you know, doing the color fingerprinting or whatever. But, and you can ship out a, an actual sample literally in a day. At ColorDyne, we used to run samples constantly as we were out there. And our goal was, we set up a goal. When artwork comes in, we want this you know, shipped out by the next morning. If it comes in by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it goes out today. And that was something that really allowed customers to touch and feel it and make a decision pretty quickly on buying the packaging, right? So, But it's really understanding, limiting the options. I agree 100%. With Dave, you show too many things and then people sit there, customer will sit there and go, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like this one, but I also like this one. <laughs> so it's, um, and then just play to those strengths. It's like, we'll run on this material. We can run, let's call it 100,000 pieces and we can have it done in, in two days, three days, you'll, you'll have it received. Uh, you want to go more than that? We'll, we'll flip this over to a different process, right? And just say, this is, where our, this is where this digital business operates. It's these materials. It's here's the color options. And we can run up to a specific, you know, never be afraid in sales to say, yeah, with this piece, we can run up to you know, 200,000. Right? That's as far as we'll go with that. And a lot of customers say, well, okay, 200,000, but I need 10 different versions within that, that order or 300,000. Say, no problem. It's done. You can, you just you rip the, the job and the whole thing prints. The printer will print a flag in between each version change. And so if you're slitting and rewinding, if in the case of labels or stacking, in the case of uh, boards, Everything comes right off on the, on the roll in the finishing, and, and even the system will recognize there's a flag and start a new stack, right? Or a new role. So it's um, just packaging that digital offer right up front, limit the customer's choices. And I think you're going to see some pretty good success out there rather than saying we can do anything, right? And then it gets right. it, complicated.
1: I think that's exactly right. You know, study your prospect, understand what they're in the business of doing, curate your messaging around them, knowing on where your strengths are. And really to me, it's, you know, go into the meeting and start by understanding your prospects' weaknesses. That's going to tell you where your strengths are in that opportunity. You know, lean into those pain points and then come back and think about, okay, you know, I've got a really diverse offering. Does this fit within what we do? If it does, great, you know, chase it down but if it doesn't you know have the discipline to say okay you know this one's not for us there's just so much opportunity out there you don't need to waste the time chasing down something that doesn't fit what you do so i think going back to those strengths really getting clear on like what it what makes you unique as a, a provider of digital packaging and who are those target clients you know make sure you understand who that target audience is otherwise you don't need to be chasing after the wrong business at the end of the day. There's just, there's so much opportunity out there. I want to jump, Tom, it looks like you've got a question or some thoughts yeah, to share.
2: On the material side, just, um, and again, this is not to add to the decision-making process, but what about sustainable materials? What kind of experience is everybody having in terms of people requesting either recyclable, biodegradable, compostable
1: materials? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point and it's something that, you know, came up yesterday at the conference I'm sitting in on, and I tend to agree with this you know I just think for the most part compostable we're not there. The infrastructure really isn't there to properly bring end of life to compostable packaging. There's folks in from Europe where you know they have more advanced in circularity than we do here in the states due to you know extended producer responsibilities. We're heading down that path here. I've always been a strong believer in post-consumer recycled content. It's immeasurable. It's real. It's a guarantee. It doesn't matter if the consumer is you know, dropping it off in an in-store drop-off bin or not. You made the impact from a sustainability perspective the moment you made the decision to buy that raw good. And in the present moment, I don't think there's a better option that you can utilize with a guarantee that you know 100% of your packaging is making an environmental impact. Now that's on the plastic side even on the paper side, you know a comment came up from a corrugator yesterday that only 40% of the boxes from the data they're capturing only 40% of corrugate is actually being recycled at the present moment by the end consumer properly. There's mixed data out there you know labels I think that there's a lot of room for innovation in my opinion you know and Sean this is I'll, I'll turn this to Steve because you know labels way better than I do but you know I question why, again there are so many specs in the label market to me it almost feels like there's just too many you know how do we simplify specifications in order to create a more sustainable and circular industry um, and I and I asked myself like why aren't more products packaged with a label that's actually removable and you get the adhesive off the the final pack you know the the primary package versus having it all gummed up when you try to take a label off of it and, to put it in a recycling container, like a glass jar. Fortunately, on the craft brew side, I've shared this before in Colorado, I don't drink a lot of beer, but on the occasion that I pick it up, I am seeing removable adhesives on on beer cans from the craft brewers in Colorado. So that's a benefit. But I think the other element, Tom, is is digital print, you know, Um, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday as well, which is digital prints, inherent sustainability benefits will end up pushing digital to the, f- to the front as a you know a primary manufacturing method of packaging. I think you know we as an industry have not done a good job of being able to show buyers of sustainable packaging what the impact is by sourcing digitally, by sourcing locally, by not having the obsolescence. You know, how do we package up that information and deliver it to the market in a way that is easily digestible, factual and trusted? Those are a couple of my thoughts but You know, anyone else who wants to jump in? And Tom, not sure if I answered your question or not.
2: Absolutely. It's just a lot of the brands that I call on are also very conscious of the whole social aspects of packaging and supply chain, all that. So it comes up in almost every conversation I have with
1: people about sustainability. So I think to that point, you know, it's about you have to take a position yourself. You know, what do you believe in? What do you think is the right path? What can you guide your prospects, your clients on and have, you know, confidence and, and feel good? about at the end of the day, that you're guiding them properly. And that's why I called out on the PCR. For me, I can sleep good at night knowing that there's measurable data when it comes to post-consumer content being collected and utilized an input to make a new good. When I think of things that depend on the consumer to do their job, there's just a major gap in education right now with the consumer and whether or not they're going to bring proper end of life to it. And I don't have the confidence there right now.
2: Are you guys confident that there's going to be additional innovation in materials kind of throughout the supply chain? So we as as providers will be able to offer other
1: alternatives? I think it's only speeding up in terms of the amount of interest in sustainable materials, sustainable structures. You know, five years ago when I was jumping into digital packaging, sustainable materials were a a dream, uh, a, you know, something that I would hear from brands, but they weren't willing to pay for the brands are paying for it today. And now it's about, you know, are they are they getting what they're paying for? And how do we make sure that we're getting them the right materials? Because everybody has their own narrative when it comes to sustainability. And that's okay. I mean, there isn't necessarily one answer for that either. You know, paper is going to be better for certain products and plastic will be better for other products. You know, recycled material is going to be better than compostable in some areas, bio-based. Whatever might be better than recyclable in, in this case. But I do think that there's the need to simplify that too. Time will tell, but I, I think demand, Tom, to answer your question is is definitely there and growing. And there's there's a lot of people that if they could pull their resources together and collaborate more, it would benefit everybody. That you know, there's enough demand for multiple suppliers, but I think there's too many folks trying to invent their own. Material structure to differentiate instead of simplifying and truly delivering on a sustainable infrastructure. Somebody else was starting to share their thoughts. Yeah, I
0: was jumping in there, uh, Dustin. This is Ryan. You know, kind of a couple of things you guys all hit on, right? Like, I feel like every time I have a vendor come in and talk to me about label substrates and they send me a package, you know, there's way too many options. And the worst thing you can do is put all those options in front of a customer because you know, they'll pick the one obscure product that has some crazy, um, you know, minimum order quantity. And it's just not, it's not realistic. You know, there's, a, like you said, there's a different story around each one, whether it's, you know, post-consumer waste, whether it's recyclable, whether it's going to flake off, whether it's going to um, be something that can be recyclable with product that's actually going on. Like we've got a project with a coffee company that wants to have hundred percent recyclable packaging. And it's like, there's a label that goes on. That's a resealable application that has to go on a you know, a a petgy kind of a bag and the whole thing has to be able to go in together. And it's like, you just spend so much time trying to figure out some of these things. And, you know, to the point where most of these companies are like ours, you know, hiring sustainability experts, because there's just too many conversations going on at once that the reps can't even become, you know, subject matter experts on some of this stuff because it's changing so much daily. And I still think that, you know, you're still seeing some of the things you mentioned where, you know, five years ago, someone wanted to do this and they saw the price tag, you know, they, they kind of shy away from it. They go back to something else, but you know, now you are seeing people doing it, but you do have to prove it out and it has to be, you know, relevant to them specifically. So, you know, it's it's a tough time to to be doing some of this stuff. I mean, it's great that there are options, but there are too many options and it's not simplified and it becomes harder and harder as a rep to you know be a value add to your customer because there's just way too much information to take in. So
1: yeah, I mean, I think in that case, Ryan, you know, sharing that back with, with your team and you know, collaborating on okay, how do we narrow down what it is that we're going to offer? Why are we offering what we've decided to offer? Educating the consumer or that buyer on okay, you might think that this is the right path, but here's why we've taken the decision to offer these three materials, and you know having the conviction that you've chosen the right specs when it comes to driving you know a sustainable impact. I agree. You know, I saw the same thing on my side where it was just too many different offerings, and then it goes back to dave's point you know somebody doesn't make a decision when there's so many different paths to choose so if we can simplify that and you know what's ultimately that driving factor for me it's it's picking material structures that you know we have the confidence in are designed around today not necessarily around 5 to 10 years from now because you know let the big cpgs help you know build the infrastructure for five to 10 years from now. You know They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on packaging. Let them go feed some of these innovators around proof of concept with sustainable structures. As small to medium-sized businesses, let's give them what we know um, works today and we have the confidence in is delivering on their why as a brand and, and at the end of the day, why the consumer is picking up their product, which in many cases is a consumer that's more conscious.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, to add to your point too about things like craft beer and some of these other industries, they're leveraging the materials that are best suited for their applications, but they're finding ways to leverage digital print to create, you know, content on the labels or on the packaging that allows people to take action in a certain way. So whether it's a corner of the label that says peel here before recycling, you know, those strips that you see on a shrink sleeve that look like a zipper that allow you to remove it before you actually recycle the the can or the bottle. So, you know, the brands are getting creative at ways to show they care about, you know, sustainability and uh, recycling and things like that without necessarily having to, you know, either sacrifice uh, either cost or uh, utility or whatever it might be to allow them to continue to, you know, put their best foot forward on, you know, making their packaging look the way they want it to look. So...
1: What are your thoughts on the removable adhesive discussion that and point that I made? Like, I, I asked that question on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and got some pretty good feedback. But you know, could we be seeing more removable adhesive, adhesive utilized in the label printing category? Is there the opportunity to then educate that consumer through unique design on the package to help them understand, hey, remove the label before discarding of this can in your recycling, so that this can can actually, you know have proper end of life brought to it. I'm interested in your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. So uh, in my experience, I have not ever used a technically <laughs> removable adhesive for a beer label. They're all primarily printed on a very common substrate, which is going to be a white film or a clear film or a, uh, or metallized film. And the adhesive there is kind of set up in a way that it'll, it'll go on cold and wet, that it's also easily removed. Like it doesn't leave a lot of residue behind on the can. I think it's just the general construction of that product. You know, if there are people specking out actual removable adhesive BOP, you know, good for them. But in most cases, the standard constructions do allow you to take a label off pretty easily. And again, people will take those off and can put them on, you know, giant pieces of you know paper and create artwork out of them. I mean, you see all, all sorts of different things. People use them as stickers or secondary kind of, you know, again, people put them on walls in their, in their brewery and decorate the walls to create wallpaper. Like there's all sorts of creative ways that people can use the label substrate, but primarily it's also a function of if it doesn't go on well the first time, it allows a reposition and just the ability to put that label back on if it flies off the canning line in a weird way being applied. So I don't have a, a strong comment on the actual adhesive being a technically removable adhesive, it's just more so the adhesive works in a way, you know, when they're going onto a cold, wet can that allows it to be pulled on and pulled off and reused a couple of times before it really gets, before it doesn't want to stick anymore.
4: Yeah, Hey, I can speak to that point because I've had experience in the past. I used to sell a lot of labels. Sure. I, mean, I, I had an application. I was doing a lot of work for Epson, the printing company. Well, every one of their printers that went out had to have a label on it, which basically... Gave you the benefits and features, if you will, and I had sold them some removable adhesive. But the problem with most removable adhesives—now this has been like ten years ago—and the technology may have changed. But you know, back then, all removable adhesives become permanent over time, and it's dependent upon you know environmental conditions, heat, humidity, all that kind of stuff. I went through it with Avery, uh, with Fasson, Avery. So almost for six months, they and they developed an adhesive that, you know, wouldn't leave any residue and stayed removable for probably a little bit over a year. And they were fine with that. But, you know, maybe somebody could speak more to that point. But I, from my understanding, removables do become permanent over time. And David Kappa, maybe you can speak to that point too, being, you know, in the digital can business, David runs into a lot of people that use Shrink labels or sh- shrink sleeves that basically have to be burned off of the can for them to be able to recycle the aluminum, which it's probably not even worth doing it because it's just too much of an effort. So,
3: yeah, the way to, to uh,
4: get rid of the labels is to uh, <laughs> go to DigiCan printing because it, it is digital print. I mean, that's what we're replacing <laughs> the shrink bands and, 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 and labels. So, uh, that, that's the viable solution, quite frankly.
3: Yeah, there's another aspect. Speaking of, you know, best practices and and playing to the digital strength is one one way of, of of supporting sustainability. Is to utilize the power of digital to keep a lot of excess printed materials from ending up in the landfill to begin with, right? So, a lot of companies, CPGs, and, uh, and even medium companies will purchase more quantity of packaging than they need because they really can't predict too far into the future, you know, what, and then, so they'll over order, plus they'll order more to get the volume discount from a converter. Whereas digital strength is, hey, whether I print a hundred or a hundred thousand, this thing's gonna cost the same. I mean, it is. it is a unity cost, period. So volume doesn't really change that in digital. So selling to the customer and saying, hey, look, you don't need to overbuy. We can print what you need. We're right nearby. We can get it done and was will ship to you near time, near just in time. So you don't need to overbuy and then end up throwing away your uh, your inventory of printed packaging when there's a marketing change or they need to you know, add a special promotion or something like that, or even just... The packaging gets old, right, when it's sitting in the warehouse too much. So playing the digital strength and saying, hey, look, you just need to order what you need for the next period of time and we'll get it to you quick. And we can do that because we run digital. So you throw away a lot less printed packaging.
4: Right. If you could get if you could get your foot in the door with that sales pitch. I found that to be good as gold. I mean, you know, if you're saving people capital outlay, that's going to sit on their floor for six months and then come to find out, you know, they need to make copy changes or art changes or whatever. I mean, that's, you know, that's a huge, huge thing, you know, to get your foot in the door with a new prospect or just to kind of cement your relationship with a current one.
1: Mm -hmm. I think, you know, tying that back to the question that Tom brought up, you know, we have to work with what we've got right now, but you know, I go back to the point that I made around LCAs. We, as manufacturers and people in the industry that are the ones in between the technology and the end customer, have to put more pressure upwards on the equipment suppliers and raw material suppliers to develop a system to measure, be able to measure actual impact, right? Because You know, we're selling on how the end customer can do a better job of managing inventory and drive impact through their behaviors of buying packaging. But I've long believed that there's a way more value than what's being recognized by the market right now in a digitally manufactured package versus a conventionally manufactured package when you look at energy consumption, when you look at wastewater, when you look at all the things that contribute as i mentioned earlier to getting a package to where it's being filled and you know a big one of those that we don't do enough we don't emphasize enough is just again local footprint how close are you producing that package to where it's being filled and what's that carbon impact when it's being produced locally versus being imported i struggle with a brand that is making a healthier for you product, a natural product, a more sustainable product, or their, their mission and, and why is revolving around better for the planet. And then they go and buy packaging from overseas. That's not delivering on your mission, in my opinion. But that's also because we're not, as an industry, doing a good enough job of educating them on how much negative impact there is from actually importing. We don't have a way to measure it right now. I couldn't support you more on that. You're, you and I are part of, and you know, maybe some of the
2: other folks on the call are part of a, like a virtual community of people that are pushing all this. Most of the other players, much more than I am, but there's a community out there that really wants to do right by this, and it's a bottom-up effort. I think that you know is getting stronger and stronger every day. Uh, hopefully, the people above us will listen to the input that we're making. You know, that's just my two cents.
3: There's other sides too. Imagine if you have a digital shop or a digital program within your shop to be able to go to a customer and say, because there's always this thing, digital versus analog, they'll never look exactly the same. And customers tend to nitpick about that, packaging buyers. But how about this? It's You say, if you do this digitally, here's what we say. If you order a digital product, we as a converter don't have to make plates. Plates require chemicals, right? Etching, laser etching. Then we have to, there's waste, there's cleanup of that system. So We don't make plates, that stuff never ends up happening. And that helps environmental sustainability. Also, if we use digital, the amount of ink or toner is exactly what's needed to run the job. If we run it analog, Mr. Customer, we have to mix up, we have to create inks of which you know these spot color inks or these pre-mixed seven colors or whatever, we have to mix more ink than we'll use. That ink's going to end up you know going down in the waste processing so if you run digital we don't have to use excess inks we don't have to make plates i mean if we think of the the difference between digital and analog there's a story to be told how again electricity as you said dustin um there's a story to be say if you choose digital you're choosing a more sustainable path to get your packaging.
4: and that's that's twofold too sean i mean as a manufacturer, depending upon what locale you're in, like if you're in Southern California, you got to deal with the AQMD with, you know, dumping inks and solvents and what have you from the cleanup process. I mean, yeah. what a headache you got to deal with. Yeah. So I, David and I are talking about putting a facility out in Southern California just to serve the West Coast market. And we don't even know if we want to print, we may just drop that out to somebody and let them deal with the headaches, but then we do everything <coughs> else.
1: Yeah, just from my own experience, I'd, I'd recommend building in Arizona or, or Nevada. Right. This yeah. state of California is a, a real joy to deal with when it comes right. to Right. Sean, I go back to your point, and I just couldn't agree with you more. I just feel there's this major gap where we know that, we can convey that, but we aren't able to provide the data still that shows it. And we have to figure out as an industry, and I, I put it back on the OEMs. The, the hardware manufacturers need to pull together the resources to make it easier to measure the impact of printing digitally versus printing analog or conventionally and what that does from a sustainability perspective. You know, why can't Zycon, HP, Durst, whomever, you know, all throw in 25, 50 grand to go build a tool that everybody benefits from? Everybody wins. I don't see why that can't be done. I, and I think it needs to be done personally. But in your past life with EPAC, didn't you guys?
2: work some kind of cooperative arrangement with a local recycling facility or capability so that people theoretically could bring their packaging back to a third
1: party there are some in, i'm not aware of what you know obviously i haven't been involved with, with the business for six plus months now but there are definitely multiple initiatives so
2: i heard you, that through cory connors
1: <laughs> gotcha yeah i would say yes but you know the challenge is getting everybody to create the awareness around uh, drop-off points and collection. And, and it's just, the system's not right now, the infrastructure isn't in place when it comes to plastics. That's just the reality of the matter. You know, and when you look at paper, you have a profitable system for recycling and repurposing. It doesn't exist in plastics. So now you're having to go back and, and build it. And it's a lot harder to, to build that when you have scale, the way the industry is at today versus having it earlier, Have having been established earlier before the industry has reached the point of scale that it's at. So I see it as just a really complex challenge at the present moment. Tom, Um, I want to I want to go back to you know Dave. You had mentioned sales, but and you know maybe we got a couple minutes to talk about that. If not, you know we can we can make some time on our next DPD because I know it's a subject that you wanted to jump into. So Sean and I can talk through that a little bit and. Some discussion points around specifically the sales realm, and you know, be great if Ryan and, and Seth are able to jump in too. Is obviously, they're walking in those shoes every day right now. One area that we called out and wanted to touch on this week is really segregating digital from analog, and you know how that ties back into a best practice. My opinion on that is that you're going to contaminate the customer experience if you're an analog converter that also offers digital and you're putting your digital work through the same process as your analog work. A ton of resistance will be met along the way when it comes to receiving a customer's order, getting it to the point of shipping the customer's order, if that is a digital order versus that which is typically produced conventional. And you see a lot of a lot of converters that do have both assets and both technologies and their platforms, but haven't necessarily segregated the two internally. And to me, that leads to, you know, a lower growth rate, potentially not necessarily experience that the customer is seeking when they go the digital route. And that starts really with just art processing. You know, are are you processing art within an SLA that is a digital SLA or are you doing it within an analog SLA? You know how are you getting that job into manufacturing? How long does it take at each step of the process? Oftentimes, I would say buyers for digital are coming to us for speed, and I don't—that's not going to change. I mean, that's just the new norm. Speed to market is the new norm. On demand is the new norm. That's that's consumer behavior at this point. So it's almost becoming to where in the digital packaging realm, if I, I don't think you're going to be relevant unless you're you're delivering on speed. At a certain point, you know, some manufacturers might utilize the technology to create more efficiency downstream for work that they have that's been running in an analog environment. And interested in your thoughts there, Sean. But to me, if, if you're making the investment into the digital, Realm and, and digital assets, you really need to look at the entire manufacturing process and not just manufacturing, but sales, you know, front-of-house operations, back of house operations. Front of house being sales marketing, customer experience, back of house being manufacturing, workflow, logistics. And how is each one of those points connecting back to being driven by tech, being driven by that digital experience that I mentioned? Food for thought.
3: I'll go back in the time when we were selling our first digital inkjet presses. You know, running around 300 feet a minute at 1600 DPI, and we, we within our, let's say after our first 10 press sales, of course we would always check the ink consumption. Right, that's our that was the bread and butter. That's your bread and butter in digital equipment as a as a manufacturer and supplier. And uh, I noticed that there were probably one out of every three customers converters were buying 10x ink versus the other two. So we sent out, you know, people to find out, you know, what, what are you, this converter doing to generate, you know, more business through that press than the other two guys. And the success of the digital, let's say, utilization. Uh, was specifically because these converters segregated the digital business, the process, had a salesperson dedicated to that digital program, had customer service rep, one dedicated to the digital program, and then even to the point where the digital press out on the floor had its own operating metrics. They tracked costs, they tracked labor. They uh, Two of them even put a tape on the floor around the digital press. So once you step over that line, you are in the digital program right there. And uh, so by, and then they went out and they said to customers, Hey, we do digital, we will do a run depending on the size up to X amount that we don't go higher than that volume. We can, but you might as well throw it on traditional once you get above that quantity. And they also sold on the fact that, oh, by the way, uh, you can create as many versions as you want. If you're going to order 100,000 labels, you can change that 20 at 100,000. It will not cost you one more thing because in the digital area, that doesn't matter. We just load up the information and it all runs. Long story short... The converters that segregated that business exactly and recognized it as a different animal from the rest of the day-to-day business, they got off the ground and running and several of them ended up coming back and buying a second press because they didn't have the capacity
1: on the first one. It's a great point. you know segregating the cost to produce digitally versus the cost to produce conventionally. And you know that comes down to just your overall expenses. Um, If you're looking at, you know, producing digitally within a conventional facility, your cost to produce digitally is going to be more expensive than the greenfield down the street that is strictly a digital operation, right? Just from an overhead perspective. So interesting to hear that, you know, when you were deploying the tech whatever that time frame was that you're speaking to, there were converters that were already ahead of the game and saying, Hey, we're going to understand what our cost to produce is on just our digital assets from a P and L perspective yeah. versus yeah. I think I would argue too many converters that have analog and digital right now are not breaking down their cost to produce by technology,
2: which is can, probably why I they're not more growth.
1: one of my suppliers. Actually, they they're both
2: analog and digital. They have a Zycon platform. They're basically going away from this icon platform completely, just staying with litho offset presses for folding carton applications. Yeah, interestingly, a lot of our customers, hi Antonio from Infigo, a lot of our customers that um, analog and are investing in digital are creating a completely different workflow stream for their digital, and you know, investing in new technologies because they're analog
0: way won't work anymore. I think it's pretty relevant too is just you know you have so many of these companies that are coming together and, and through all the MA activity is that you've got you know analog and digital joining forces, you know, either from different plants, different cultures, all these different things and they're they're coming together under one roof in so many places around the country. And what you're saying is not happening fast enough in some cases. It relates to creating like separate cells, separate workflows, you know, they're trying to operate on MIS systems and things like that that just you know aren't built for one technology over another. And it does create a lot of, you know, heads butting and things like that and different ways that, you know, production sees things versus customer service versus, you know, the overall plant management, looking at costing. I mean, it comes down to everything. So, you know, the more you can segregate, I think the technology and the workflow associated with it, you know, the better off you'll be because it's really hard, especially if you have, even if you have really good digital technology and really good flexo or analog technology, if they're not, you know, separate or, or or working really well together. You're just you're gonna be in a weird spot.
1: A lot, a lot of good input. I feel like we're uh we're getting right to the you know the hot button point here as we wrap up this week's DPD live. And with that being said, you know, I think if we back out and look at this from a macro perspective, in a business you have sales, operations and finance or sales and marketing operations and finance. And as that analog and digital converter you have to go back and segregate each one of those buckets from one another in order to find success within the digital realm otherwise you know you're really creating a space where it's like oil and vinegar and they don't go together now that being said i i do believe that that's we're talking process and we're talking business we're not talking people as companies that are embracing both sets of technology we have to make sure from a people perspective that we're doing the right things and mindful and aware of, there's plenty of folks in print that have been doing things the analog conventional way, you know, creating opportunity for those individuals to have a path to go into the digital realm. I think that that's something that's really important. We need that tribal knowledge and that talent in, in the digital space in order to create greater adoption in the market, and you know, it's all relevant to business model and, and where you're at, but digital is not going anywhere it's here to stay it's going to capture more market demand the technology is advancing the consumer the end customer wants the value that it offers it just comes down to the manufacturers moving beyond the elements of the unknown in other words the fear of the what ifs what if it doesn't work out you know how how do i make a return on my capital investment well you know Understand those fears. That there are big investments that are to be made if you're stepping into this realm. But I think you have to look at the the macro impact right now. What's going on within the market and what's driving really the acceleration of this niche that is still very small in the grand scheme of things and is only going to continue to grow. And then work with individuals like Sean and myself who who've been there and know what it you know those fears are like and those unknowns and so can help guide you know navigating those waters that. You know, if if I'm a business owner, I'm considering a two three million dollar capital investment. That's a lot of risk. But you know, if I'm doing the, the research and the work to understand what's going on in the overall markets, I, the confidence can be found to go out and and take that risk. In my opinion, Sean, any thoughts before we're wrapping up?
3: Yeah, well, just to finalize that, there are options for getting into digital that are very good today. And speaking of evolution. It doesn't necessarily, depending on the size of your operation and what you're targeting, but you can get into a pretty good digital press program that can do a lot of things for really a few hundred thousand dollars. It just depends on what you're you're looking for. But that's a good way to get started without saying, I have to go right to something that's going to be... Several million dollar capex, right? You can, there are many options out there now that literally start at a hundred thousand. You can get converting, you know, you get slitting, you get die cutting, even at 250, 300,000, right? So there's a lot of different entry points depending on the size of the converter, and it doesn't have to require a massive capex up front.
1: That's a great point. You know, I was sitting here yesterday listening to the story of Base Cities, who's a corrugated converter, and they showed the history of their organization and how they've grown into now recently installing a C five hundred. But it all started with you know I think a Cytex, you know, ten years ago,
3: yeah.
1: right? Just you know, taking steps and growing, and you know, went from I guess the Cytex, you know, ten thousand or something to the fifteen five to then putting the barber in, in to now having the C five hundred. You're right. You can start with a, a smaller investment, a smaller niche, and it's all relative at the end of the day. You know, I think that's a great point, Sean, is start with an entry point asset. And, you know, maybe it's it's serving a, a little bit of a different market or different customer base than your core customer base today. And that's okay. You know, get comfortable, build the confidence, learn how the business works, make the changes internally from a workflow standpoint to support that. You know incubate that business and then go and make bigger investments in the space and another item I, I think that is a great area for conventional converters to focus who are looking to go into the digital realm is with what antonia and her team were doing it in figo you, know, you don't have to buy an asset to jump into the digital packaging game per se you, you can very much start with the experience and creating a better experience for your existing customers that is streamlined that removes the friction That is convenient. That aligns with just going on to Amazon and and reordering. You know, print shouldn't be any different. I think there's still so much opportunity to simplify what is a complex purchasing experience today. And you know, the point that was made yesterday is people are spending you know hundred dollars on custom shoes or you know custom printed products, and the level of customization, personalization, the speed, and, and how things move. Or, no, it was food, you know, ordering food delivery. You know, it's a $40 ticket or whatever it might be, but the speed and ease of ordering it online in comparison to spending $300,000 or $25K on packaging, why isn't that experience being transferred over to a higher purchase ticket price in the packaging realm? It needs to be. So, great area to also lean into. And then, you know, as you build that experience for the customers with that online portal, per se, easier to do business with. Then you can plug in a digital asset that just happens to be another part of the workflow. And it's a little bit of a different look in terms of just, you know, that's a differentiator from analog and digital is that digital asset literally is a component of the workflow, whereas the analog asset, I don't see it ever getting to that point. But anyhow, thanks everybody for for jumping on this week. Excited for Sean and I to be kicking off season two. If you have thoughts, don't hesitate to send me or Sean a ping or both of us on LinkedIn with just some subjects that you'd like to cover. Dave, Gerhardt, let's sync up. You know, I'll send out okay. a DM and you know if you want to share some thoughts that you have in mind for sales, let Sean and I take it back and let's sure. make it a, a discussion point for an upcoming DPD. I'd love to. Awesome. Thank I'll you for over. everybody's input today. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, it's Dustin. Thanks so much for listening to the show and being at the front lines of this new exciting era in digital packaging. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave a five-star review, and a written review to tell us what you think. Thanks for listening and see you again next time. Thank you.